Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez, and I'm happy to report that right now you can order my book. That's right. I wrote a book. It's called That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore on the Death and Rebirth of Comedy. Follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez. That joke isn't funny anymore. If you want other options on how you can buy my book, please sign up for my newsletter at theluperez.com. You could also join my community at theluperez.locals.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could leave a five-star review, that would be amazing. Whether you're a long-time listener or first-time, five-star reviews are lovely. If you're looking for other ways you can support me, you could do so by supporting my sponsors. If you're into CBD products, please check out PalomaVerdeCBD.com. Use promo code Lou to get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you like cold brew, check out Black Organic Cold Brew at www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code Lou for free shipping. All right, let's go. I'm going to start it up right now. Nice. Hey, guy. Oh, fuck me up, Spike. Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Perez, and I'm very excited to be joined by my next guest. He was the 2020 vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party. They came in third, Mr. Spike Cohen, everybody. Yes, third place champion. Yeah. That's the podium, by the way. I made the podium. That's there was not... no podium, but I made the podium. Who was fourth? Who came in fourth? Uh, I believe that uh, Howie Hawkins, and that would have been Angela... Oh, what was her last name? It wasn't Davis. Angela, I can see her face right now. Anyway, uh, she actually lives two hours from me in Charleston, and she was the Green Party vice presidential candidate, and uh, and she came in fourth. So South Carolina, rounding it up nicely at third and fourth. You know, um, so I, I, you know, we know each other through like libertarian stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I actually became, uh, I joined the LP uh, last year when I moved nice. to uh, uh, when I moved to New Jersey. And it was a, it was a, it was kind of a perfect transition for me to become a member of the LP because I was at the New Jersey DMV. It's actually not called the DMV. It's like something like DMC or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it was such a perfect example of, you know, government bureaucracy where I was yes. like, you know, I just, I, I got to just bite the bullet now and do it. So here I am. Oh, so they, when you registered there. Yeah. That's actually probably really good for re LP registration numbers. You, people are sitting there and they're like, this is terrible. And they get up there and they're like, which party are you in? And I'm like, which one hates you the most? Oh, the exactly. Libertarian Party. Okay, then I'll go, I'll go with that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was gonna I was gonna ask you, you mentioned the uh the Green Party. Uh you know, obviously, uh, you know, libertarians uh have, you know, kind of a um a hostile relationship to the to the two major parties, you know. Yes. Um and what what is it like with you know other you know third parties like do you, do you guys talk do you get along what is that like <laughs> uh, for the most part yeah I, so um, it's interesting a lot of the states uh, there was a very targeted push to keep all other parties but the Republicans or Democrats off the statewide ballots which is how you can get elected is by being on the ballot and. Um, the Libertarian Party was the only one that was able, besides the Republicans and Democrats, we were the only ones to be able to get on all 50 state ballots. And uh, the Green Party was only able to get on, I, I think, 30. 
it was 30 something. I don't remember the exact number, but a few of those that we they were able to get on, it was because our lawyers were fighting for them as well as us saying, you know, this isn't just about our party being able to get on the ballot, but it's about all the parties, anyone who wants to run being able to get on the ballot with, you know, reasonable, uh, uh, reasonable standards in place to make sure it's not just, you know, a ballot with 100,000 names on it. But that can be done, you know, that those reasonable standards don't need to require tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of signatures or tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees or, or in some cases millions of dollars in legal fees. There's no reason for that. And so we've helped the Green Party a lot. In terms of uh, like inter- getting along together and stuff, there was actually some talk of uh, uh, my doing a um, a forum with uh, Howie Hawkins and Angela. I can't remember her last name at the moment. It's um, definitely it's definitely not Angela Davis because I think it's she's, not Angela she, Davis. No, she's hiding no. out in Cuba. I think. So. Yes, no, it's not Angela Davis. I'm trying to remember her last name. Anyways, like I said, she's she's right up the road. But uh, we were going to do a forum uh, to talk about the challenges that third parties face, and we were never able to to make that work. But no, I'd say we have a a, a fairly congenial working relationship. And the other thing is that, um, by some estimates, the uh, Libertarian Party and Green Party platforms are share seventy percent of our of our platform uh, commonality. Where we disagree on is typically on things related to economic issues. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're so they're almost like uh, Green Green Party is almost they're they're also anti-authoritarian. And one could argue in some way libertarian in 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 end goal, if not the philosophy of how they want to get there. But when it comes to the economic end of it, that's where we diverge as widely as we do with pretty much anyone. Um but, you know, there's a lot of stuff we agree on. And, uh, and um, you know, I, I think we have a fairly good working relationship. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting, uh, you know, to, to see the word democracy being thrown around, especially, you know, over the past few weeks about, you know, yes. uh, you know, do you care about democracy? Um, but, you know, for the most part, I don't want to straw man anybody, but for the most part, a lot of people who, you know, who throw that around, they don't seem to really give a shit about having any other parties involved. And it's such a it's such a weird thing. I mean to get on a ballot it's like you have to do a a pre like you have to do pre democracy before you can take part yes. in the democracy mm-hmm. you know yeah. like yeah. going door you have to, to door pay. democracy ain't free lou it's it's yeah you have to go door to door you have to get signatures and in some states it's absurd the difference between the double standard between what Republicans and Democrats have to do and what the rest of us have to do. So like in Tennessee, if you are a Republican or a Democrat and you want to run for any office in that state, you have to collect 25 signatures to be able to get on the ballot. 25. 25. Now that's, I get that. Okay. Again, you don't want to have, you know, 50,000 names on a ballot. If you can get 25 people together to sign it and you can pay whatever the filing fee is. Okay, great. (laughs) For uh, anyone else who wants to run uh, as a, a libertarian, Green Party, Constitution, Reform, whatever, uh, you have to get 50,000 signatures. And, yeah, no, and... Uh, the do the math court, on that. <laughs> and the election courts uh, are run entirely by Democrats and Republicans. They do everything they can to try to uh, uh, invalidate uh, signatures and say that they aren't valid. And if they can, you typically, if they can invalidate one signature on a, on a ballot, on a petition page, they invalidate the entire page. So in practice, you actually have to get a hundred thousand signatures, uh, instead of the 25 that the Republicans and Democrats have to get. What is the, um, 
I mean, I know why they do it, but what what is the um, you know the public uh, justification for that? What the public justification is exactly why they do it. So this was mm-hmm. actually brought up. Uh, there was a proposal by a libertarian um, lobbying group called For All Tennessee, which I work with very closely. We're trying to get them franchised out to every state. The work they're doing in Tennessee is incredible. One of the things they tried to do <coughs> was ballot uh, reform, and they weren't asking for normalization. They weren't asking for us to also only have to get 25 signatures. They were asking for it to be brought down to what most other states are doing so that it would only be about 10,000 signatures. And of the people who publicly spoke against it uh, when it was in committee, they straight up said, we think that you should vote Republican or Democrat. And if we put another option, if we put other options on there, it's just going to confuse things. People are going to think that there are other ways of looking at these. I mean, this is literally what they said. Voters will think that there are more than two options out there and they're going to start voting all these different ways. And who knows who's going to get elected? Well, yeah, that's the point. The point is that you aren't supposed to already know who's supposed to get elected or who's going to get elected the people get to decide that when they vote. That's your vaunted democracy in action. Um, and that's, yeah. And so no, they were actually, at least they were honest about, they didn't even try to pretend there was a public protection angle. It was just, well, people should be Republican or Democrat. Yeah. I noticed um, anytime I, I voted third party, um, especially in, in, in 2016, I guess was, was the, the big one where, you know, going into it, you're, you're, you know, you're basically told as a, if you're voting third party, you have no power. It's stupid. Yes. You're throwing your vote yep. away. But then when, when Trump won, then it was, it was my fault that he won, but yet I didn't have any power whatsoever, you know? Yes. No, you, you had a magic vote, uh, yep. your magic vote for a third party. I mean, you want to talk about bang for your buck. If only just for a, a value to me, it's, it's not only not throwing your vote away, it's the best bang for your buck. Your vote is worthless. It also is the reason why whichever second, uh, you know, of the top two parties didn't lose, why they lost. Uh, it is often the reason. Uh, I, I I heard this a lot that um, the reason that Joe Biden wasn't able to uh, um, counter Trump more was because he had to worry about us and the one point whatever percent we got. Um, and then, so that's also why Joe Biden sucks. So your vote is really powerful in many different ways. I, my thing is this, man, throwing your vote away or wasting your vote is voting for the same two groups of people who created the mess we're in and who are right now actively working to make it worse because every two years, four years, six years, whatever their term is for their for their specific spot, they come to you and say, hey, there, me again. I know that I'm making everything worse right now as I'm talking to you. But if you vote for me one more time, I'm going to fix all of this. And frankly, if you don't vote for me, you're going to get this guy next to me who I work with every single day. <laughs> That's throwing your vote away. Right. Yeah. And, and there's uh, there's always the um, what, what is the element that they uh, they talk about? It's like, look, we know that that we need reform. We know that the parties need to change. But yes. not now, not during this election. And we know that we need to get money out of politics. We uh, need to get big money and dark money and all that out of elections, future elections, not this future. one, in the not future. There's so yep. much riding on this on this election right now. 
Yeah. So this is actually a common practice of toxic abusers. So there are many people who are watching or listening to this uh, who may have either been in one of these relationships uh, or heard about one of these re relationships. You might have actually been this person who said this. Some of you are listening. Uh, but uh, the abuser, the toxic abuser, uh, creates melee at all times, creates havoc, creates crisis, creates tension so that everything is always in a state of tension. Usually it's because they have some kind of underlying mental health issue in which they thrive under tension more so than they do under like normal healthy conditions. That's a whole other subject. But what it also allows them to do is that when the person, their spouse, their significant other, their, their family members, whatever, try to leave them or disassociate from them or disown them, they say, you can't leave me right now. Look at everything that's going on. It'll all fall apart if you leave me right now. Well, yeah, that's because of you. So I, again, going back to the whole, you know, turning around their argument. Yes, this is, this election is far too important to vote for the people who made this election far too important. This election should not be this important. You know, from a libertarian standpoint, who is president should not matter nearly as much as it does right now. And frankly, who is your mayor is shouldn't matter nearly as much as it does right now. It's their fault that it matters so much. It's their fault that we're in a state of, of, of constant perpetual crisis. And it's never going to end until we kick them out. Yeah, that's a no, that's a really good point. It's uh, the idea of okay, once we get through these four years, we're gonna Next change. Every, we're gonna change everything that the previous guy did. And it's like it, it, I, I remember I did a um a, a not a podcast. I did a uh, a short documentary about about Sweden, and uh, I got to talk with uh, Johan Norberg, uh, who I think he, he does a lot of work with Cato. Um, okay. And uh, he's 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 really fantastic. And uh, we were talking about you know the couple of the you know a few of the differences between the U.S. and Sweden. And and one of the things that I guess Sweden has going for it is they basically know what they're going to get each election. Like it's sort of the powers are kind of established, and this yeah. is what you know they're able to do. Whereas you know with the president, it's like new president comes in it's going to turn every, you know, everything's going to change, you know, yep. we're going to, whether it's by executive order or, or, or what have you. Um, and it's like, yeah, I, I really would like to get to a point where when maybe, maybe one day I don't even know who the president is. That, that might be. <laughs> and, and there are people out there who don't know who the president is and that is, yeah. it's concerning, but, yeah. but, but, <laughs> I'd like there to be a time when it's like who your president is. Like there are a lot of people, they don't know who like their County board members are. Right. And, and frankly, they probably should. Honestly, there's probably a lot more tyranny happening to them on a daily basis because of stuff that's happening at the County level than at the federal level. But I mean, wouldn't it be great if government was so inconsequential in our day-to-day -day lives that, yeah, okay. I know the president is, I've seen him on TV a couple of times. He was talking about the thing with the, with the whatever. And, and, uh, um, but that it doesn't really matter on a day to day basis. There's actually a, a comedian I know you love as well, uh, Norm McDonald, who used to talk about. He said, "You know, I'm from Canada. It doesn't matter who's president here." Although now, obviously, it didn't right. matter. But he would joke and say, "You know, ah, you know, we're not even technically voting for the for the for our prime minister. We're voting for the local uh, person in our riding, which is their district." And, you know, when you guys talk about who you're voting for, it's like, you know, nuclear war and, uh, you know, terrorism and all this stuff. When we talk to the guy, we'll, we'll go over and we'll be like, hey, what about the, uh, the the bridge? 
What, what's happening with the bridge there? Oh, I'm no, I'm very much against the bridge. Oh no, I'm I'm very in favor of the bridge. Oh, okay. Well, I I think I'm partial to the bridge, so I'm going to vote for you. And that's and now, of course, uh, now that he's died, uh, Justin Trudeau has made that into a giant lie uh, that it actually does matter who's in charge there. But I'd love for there to be a day where that really is uh, all that matters, and we aren't even asking them about the bridge. Yeah, I, I remember during the uh, well, it seemed like during uh, at least the last two election cycles. Um, yeah. The the um, excitement or the the fervor and the passion that all of my friends in California had about voting for the president. And it's like, yeah. well, we know which way your state's going. Like, you know, you guys, I know you guys are taken to the streets and all that, but you're still doing it like in L.A. Like you're still doing yes. it where, you know, where uh, uh, where you are. Oh, you, you bring up, uh, you know, Norm, um, who. How long has he been gone? Uh, how, how When did he pass Gosh, away? It's been like five. I think he died in in September. So it's been like five months now, five or wow. five or six months now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when, when he passed away, um, Bob Saget, who was a, a great friend of his, did kind of a uh, impromptu uh, little uh, audio uh, yeah. memorial to him. And, and I think he spoke for maybe like 20 minutes and just about uh, – you know, how close they were. And I think the last thing Norm texted him was, I love you something or something mm. like that. And yeah. then, and then you turn around and now Bob Saget's gone. It's uh, yeah. It's so wild. Yeah. That's, that's wild. Yeah. And I see, it's funny. Cause I grew up watching both of that. One of my favorite memories growing up when I was a kid, um, my dad was, uh, is disabled and, and retired. So I, and I was homeschooled. And so we'd finish up again. This is a, a big plug for homeschooling. We finish up homeschooling in like three hours, whatever was supposed to be done that way. We usually finish it up pretty quickly and then we'd hang out and do whatever we were going to do that day. And one of the things we would do, we would watch, you know, in the early days of comedy central, they mostly just played stand up routines mm -hmm. and, so I'd watch Norm Macdonald. Uh, there wasn't a lot of Bob Saget on there, but I did watch him on uh, on Full House. So I grew up watching these guys. And then to see that, like, that was their more, like, you know, I guess family-friendly, wholesome right. comedy. And then seeing, you know, Bob Saget doing uh, the um, the aristocrats and seeing Norm Macdonald being much more blue with his comedy later on. So, I mean, I've literally grown up through into my adulthood watching these guys and uh, I, I'm definitely a big Bob Saget fan, but especially Norm Macdonald, who I thought was probably he was definitely my favorite comedian uh, that was alive. Uh, and and I guess now he's he's uh, among my favorite dead ones. Um, but he uh, he also was arguably, in my mind, one of the funniest people ever to live. I, I think just his way of approaching humor. Um, even to this day, the way he would tell a joke by just re-saying what he just said has become so prolific in comedy now that you don't even recognize that that didn't used to be a thing. And he was one of the people that that normalized, you know, making a joke where the punchline was the joke itself. Like he would say, uh, you know, uh, Julia Roberts uh, broke up, and I'm, I'm not going to try to do a, a Norm Macdonald impression, but <laughs> eh, eh, eh. Eh, eh, Julia Roberts, eh, eh, eh. Uh, <laughs> Julia Roberts broke up uh, with uh, uh, what Lyle Lovett, and uh, the divorce was finalized today. Uh, she said uh, that she decided to get divorced uh, when she realized that she was Julia Roberts and he was Lyle Lovett. And like that kind of thing. And that was like, he kind of brought that into the, into the mainstream. And now that's, you know, people just repeating what they just said. And that being the punchline has become a lot more prolific. 
Yeah, I um, um, so I have a book that's coming out uh, that everyone can pre-order uh, right now on Amazon. It's called uh, "That yes. Joke Isn't Funny Anymore," and in um, in one of the chapters, I, I talk about the passing of, of of Norm and how you know chances are when you heard about Norm Macdonald dying, you were probably binging clips of him on YouTube. It's just it, it's sort of just that, about. It's like that's how that that's sort of how how Norm exists, where it's kind of like, uh, oh man, I remember when Norm did this. Let me go check it out, and then you turn around and it's like, oh, I've been watching for a half hour all these different clips, and yes. he's he's reached kind of a this immortality um, where he will for for me he will forever be like sitting on uh, the couch between Andy Richter and and Conan O'Brien. I don't think people watch any other clips of old Conan O'Brien bits other than Norm Macdonald. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't have the science to back that up. I don't have the stats, but it's hard for me to imagine watching old bits that, that he's not involved in. Yeah, I actually, so I've, I've tested this. What I go on YouTube, I watch it. And even before he died, I would watch tons of Norm Macdonald. I knew all of his jokes, you know, his old joke about, you know, uh, you're someone who follows the devil and uh, the devil tells him to chop up his family and put him in a duffel bag. And then he meets the devil and says, oh, Lord, host of the hoary netherworlds, I have brought you my family in a duffel bag like you asked for for some reason. And then the devil takes off his mask and says, it's me, Bob. And he goes, oh, Bob, oh, you got me, Bob. And and uh, everything from that to even his more recent stuff and uh, and and his long form jokes, the jokes that would take 15 minutes for him to tell. And yeah. I, I love trying to work that into my shows much to the anger of my co-host because <laughs> he he also is a norm mcdonald fan and i'll say like in fact uh you know recently i was uh being driven in a cab and they told me about a moth and he's like, oh. he knows so where you're going he, he knows, knows where it's yeah. going and it's like we just lost 10 minutes to him just going off riffing about whatever and um you know, in, in the middle of all, but I've, so I've been consuming a lot of his content for a very, very long time. And so YouTube will be like, Hey, you want to watch this? You like watching apparently someone who's on David Letterman a lot. Do you want to watch this, uh, two hour super clip of all the times Stephen Wright was Stephen? Yeah. Stephen Wright was on there. And I'm like, sure. And then I'll, and so I'll watch a little bit of it. And I, I like Stephen Wright. I think he's a funny guy, but I'm like, yeah, this isn't the same as Norm Macdonald. And that's nothing against Stephen Wright. It mm -hmm. could be any of the, you know, uh, um, Louis Anderson who also just passed away. It could be a, a lot of different comedians and I could watch a little bit of it. There are very few comedians I will watch two hours straight of. I think right. there's just something special about, about Norm Macdonald and, and how easy his humor was, like how uh, effortless his humor was and how much you could tell, you know, they say a comedian's comedian, you could tell how much the hosts were into it, how much the other comedians were into it. Like he was funny on their level. I, I, I think he's great. Yeah. Or was great. Now he's yeah. not, he's dead. <laughs> Thank you for reminding us that he's, uh, he's <laughs> it was great. Now Norm MacDonald is one of Spike's uh, favorite dead uh, comedians for sure. Among my favorite dead one previously. Yeah. Who was living yeah. one. And now he, he lost that title. Uh, who, who were, uh, who's it now? Do you have one now? Um, who, who's become the um, living? Gosh, who's living my favorite comedian? living comedian? Norm Macdonald, because he yeah. lives here. No, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I get you know. I and let me just say, I hate when people ask me that question. Yeah. So no, I'm no, sorry no. That I, I, I threw it at you. No, and I'm I'm glad you asked because I really I don't know. I think I I've, I've 
I've continued calling him my favorite living comedian. It's like, but he's not because he's dead. He like can't do that anymore. Uh, he can't even tell it. I mean, he's not the least bit funny now. Um, so no, I, I'd have to really think about that because I'm not sure. I mean, I have a lot of comedians that I really like. Uh, I, I, I will say, I think one of the bravest ones is Dave Chappelle. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure he's my, I, he's definitely up there in, in my favorite comedians, but I'm not sure I'd call him my, my, the most funny comedian out there right now. And I'm kind of at a loss right now who I would say alive as of this taping that I'm aware is, that I believe is alive, uh, would be my fun, my, my favorite comedian or, well, or the I'm, funniest one. Yeah. You know, when, when I think about, uh, you know, uh, Norm and, and, uh, Louis Anderson and, and, yeah. and Saget, and I know I, I was never a fan of Bob Saget. I, I, I only knew him from, you know, America's funniest home videos and full house, yeah. full house. Full House, obviously, was very corny. Like, it was a very cheesy show. And yes, then, yeah, it was yeah, uh, corny. Um, America, America's Funniest Home Videos. It's just guys getting kicked in the nuts or hit, you know, hit in the nuts. Yeah. Um, very family friendly, nut hitting though. Yes, uh, it's a it's a nut based family friendly program. Yeah, but uh, but I wonder uh, if if my my just pure enjoyment has something to do with just the nostalgia too. Where I wonder, like, say, if I was. Um, you know, seeing Louis Anderson stuff for the first time, you know, uh, would it, yes. would it still, you know, would it still have that impact, uh, on me? Um, I don't know. I think Norm would still hold up, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and while you were saying that, it, so two things, one, because now YouTube thinks I'm a stand up comedy addict mm-hmm. because of my, my Norm McDonald obsession that again has existed even before he died. Uh, uh, I, I saw uh, Louis Anderson's first appearance on um, the Johnny Carson show. Mm. I think that was his first televised appearance. And I watched it and it was funny. And I could, and I remember watching it and thinking, wow, I can see how that would have been groundbreaking and like totally out of the box in the se- late seventies when he was doing it or the early eighties when he was doing it. But no, it doesn't stand up the same as watching that same Norm Macdonald clip that I've seen and still laughing just as hard because it's, it's, Every bit as much as presentation, as much as the content of the joke itself, I could tell the same joke and it probably wouldn't be nearly as funny because it's not Norm saying the joke. The other thing I thought of is I think, and don't hold me, well, I guess you can hold me on this, it doesn't really matter or mean anything, but I think that my favorite living comedian right now, the one I find the funniest is Gilbert Gottfried. Uh. I find him, I will watch, he's another one, I will listen to his clips and uh or like the times he used to be go on howard stern all the time and the absolute best hysterically for an hour he is hilarious and even not telling a joke just talking and saying ah yes yes well yeah well of course and like even that's funny like he's he's a funny funny guy his, and that's his, on his voice by the way yeah he's got a his laugh when he yes. laughs it's it, yeah it's uh it's ridiculous well on stern he used to do he used to do the Pope and he used yes. to do the, the Pope, like the Pope, like <laughs> mid molesting children, like talking of the Pope sounded, he made the Pope sound like Bella Lugosi. Yes. And uh, yeah. And it's just, you know, the insane, the insane stuff that, that, yeah, I think he and Norm are, are definitely two of those comedians where um, I almost, I enjoy their appearances more than I do their stand up. Like I like yeah. you know, being able being able to watch them yes. riff, you know, for a half hour. And actually, I'm I'm sure you've seen, seen this clip, but uh, it's uh, Gilbert Godfrey was on the Norm the the Norm show or the, or the Norm McDonald uh, show, whatever. Norm McDonald Live, yeah. yeah, yeah, whatever he did for uh, I think for Netflix. Um, 
and and they're talking about oh god what's his name uh uh michael yes michael douglas yes getting getting throat cancer yeah, uh, yes. from you know obviously going down on Catherine zeta jones yes. yes and they just keep going back and forth about all the diseases they would be willing to get to yeah. uh do very you know to do any number of sexual things yes. with Catherine yeah. zeta jones yeah yeah no cat uh, gilbert godfried i would uh i would risk lupus and of course yeah. they're laughing uncontrollably it's a- <laughs> and he's like He's like, for the chance, like it was like, I'm willing to risk lupus just for the chance yeah. to have that moment with Catherine Jada Jones. Yeah, no, he is that that clip. There is a, a, a if you go on YouTube, there's like a, a that entire episode of, of him on Norm McDonald live. And that is one that you will or I did laugh uncontrollably yeah. for most of it. And a lot of it's like him just talking about, you know, when he was on Alan Thicke's show and and telling stories that were I mean. If I were to tell them, people would go, oh, yeah, no, huh. But like because it's Gilbert Godfrey telling it and because he has the same five impressions for everyone, he <laughs> it's just it's I, I find him like, I, yeah, I, I'll probably I'll stand on that. I, I will say that I think that he is probably my favorite living comedian and he might probably he's probably dead. He probably died while we're doing <laughs> um, uh, Oh, you just you just threw me off. I was going to ask something brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh! I was gonna, I was gonna, you know, uh, talk about, you know, how everybody was was really just thrown that uh, that you know Norm had been, you know, dying of cancer for yes. nine years, yeah. and he told he told no one, or at least no yeah. one uh, outside of anyone. I hope he told his son. Like I hope it wasn't, you know, you know, I'm I'm sure he let his close people. Uh, my understanding was he only told people very close to him and what's crazy is as someone that had consumed so much of his comedy as soon as they said he died all of a sudden i had all these like (gasps) remembering he would talk all the time especially in like long form podcast i'm I'm a norm mcdonald nerd i listen to his not funny stuff where he's just being interviewed on like a podcast about and he would say things about he's like you know i don't he said uh you know a lot of celebrities it's a big thing now that when they get uh sick uh, and I felt kind of convicted right. by this because I have MS and talk about it all the time. And he's like, uh, you know, when you when they get sick, when they get a disease, they go in and tell everyone. And 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 you know, we're all told how brave it is that 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 they're talking about this. And he said, I don't, I don't think that's particularly brave. I think if you're going through that, you know, you, you keep it to yourself and your closest loved ones, and uh, and you know, you don't try to burden your fans with that. And it's like, crap, he's telling us. And again, mm. this was in the time frame of when he, because it was like ten or eleven years he was fighting this thing. This is in the time frame of him, yeah. not, and he would joke uh, in in uh, around 2011, 2012, He'd joke all the time about bowel cancer. Yep, he kept talking about it, and it's like, and all these things start like coming together. And and then the final thing that came together for me, like I said, I have MS, so I I can see. Quit bragging! Quit bragging, have, Spike. I'm brave. Everyone applaud me for my stunning bravery for literally continuing to breathe air despite having MS. I am a warrior, okay? No, so I but because of that, I'll often like watch my interviews to see like are my symptoms flaring up or but you know, am I shaky or whatever? And and no, I'm not. No one would know unless I told them because I'm perfect. Anyway, um but I so I'm kind of like I'll subtly notice when people are like tremoring or when something's a little off because I noticed that myself and I'm like, yeah, my mouth was kind of doing whatever. And I remember watching Norm's Netflix show and he had like a slight tremor and they didn't really show it often. And it seemed like he was kind of struggling for words and his his hair seemed 
uh, a little off and he seemed like he had aged a lot. And I remember thinking like, does he have an autoimmune disease? But then I saw him after the show had ended and he looked like he was doing a little bit better. Well, that was because he was off of the chemo. And it was like realizing like, and then watching like what his last appearance on uh, David Spade's show. And he was like white hair. And I'm like, man, he's aging fast. Oh, but he is in his 60s. And and realizing, no, he's like going through rounds of chemo and, and dying. And, and you know, you don't, in that moment, you don't realize it until afterwards. Yeah, I thought. Um, and then it's not funny at all. What, well, then it's not funny at all? <laughs> Dennis, and then it's not even remotely funny. Um, yeah, I noticed him kind of looking bloated. Um, and, yeah. and I was like, you know, I was like, I, I, I was saying, I don't think he's the type of guy that would get plastic surgery, but his face was kind of, yeah. kind of a bloated and there was a sheen to it, you know, that, that just didn't seem, I don't know. That didn't seem, well, obviously it's natural, but, uh, it, it, it didn't look like, uh, look like Norm. Um, no, no. Yeah, no, I, I, um, the last thing he did, it was like a TMZ interview and while he was talking, he would like do this with his eyes and kind of like do that. And that's something I recognize that I'll sometimes do because I have multiple sclerosis. I like many. Oh, that's what MS. That's what MS stands for. I I struggle with not one, not two, but multiple sclerosis. And, and that's it. It's not good. Uh, And yet I still sojourn on literally every day. And yet I persisted every day. That's going to be what my novel is called. And yet, he persisted. Is that, with MS. Is, that, is, that a, is that how you got your beautiful wife? You just guilted her? You're like, yeah, I said, I, yes, I, I, I said, listen, listen, you should know something. I have MS. And yet I still came here with you today. No, I, I, I married her before that. She would have never gotten with someone with MS. Um, so no, I, I, uh, <laughs> it's not true. Um, but so I noticing little things like that. And I'm like, well, that was chemo. He was going through chemo symptoms. So, but you don't realize that then. And uh, it, it's like Norm's, uh, his joke, you know, he talks about, you know, my dad, uh, you know, a few days ago, my my father was was brutally murdered. And only now can I really look back on it and laugh. <laughs> hold, hold. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Now well, it's funny. Yeah. Well, well, Spike. I mean, as long as as, as long as I've known you, I, I I would never think you had you know any uh, anything you know um, not anything. Well, and I, you look healthy. You always look healthy. This <laughs> this guy looks like he's got nothing. No, he looks he, like he's got nothing. No, Spike's Who gave always you that hoodie. Spike's always a uh, you always come off as a very uh, healthy guy. Um, yes. And uh, yeah, so. Well, what is, you know, multiple sclerosis for people who don't know, like myself, um, I don't, you know, I'm not familiar with it. And uh, maybe tell us just a little bit about it. Sure. So it's, it is my, my cross to bear as a warrior. Uh, No, uh, MS is a multiple sclerosis is one. It's part of the family of autoimmune diseases. And what an autoimmune disease is, basically, it's your immune system gets confused and confuses various parts of your body with a virus or a foreign pathogen or something that needs to be attacked and removed. And with multiple sclerosis, the thing that your immune system thinks is the bad guy is your brain and your spinal cord. And so the symptoms, anything your brain affects, which is everything, uh, can be affected by MS. Um, It can affect your cognitive function. It can affect your, uh, your vision. It can affect your uh, uh, your strength, you can affect your, your, um, sensory, you know, how you, how you sent, how you're, you know, touching things. It can affect your, 
Uh, I'm not sure how often it affects smell, but I guess technically it can affect smell. It can affect taste. It can affect, you know, all, a, a whole host of things. And um, for me, it's mostly sensory stuff. I deal with weird sensations uh, through most of my body, mostly in my limbs and in my in my torso. And, and, uh, and I, I deal with a lot of that. Uh, it has been in remission for uh, about, uh, what, almost five years now. Um, and, uh, so I, I, so what that means is by being in remission, I haven't had any new attacks or flare ups. There has been no new damage. Um, I'm just dealing with the existing damage that's already happened, which slowly over time has kind of, for the most part, most of my symptoms have either pretty much stayed the same or actually slowly gotten better over time. Um, so I, I'm actually doing very well. Um, and, and the reason for that is because when I got MS, I decided to be a warrior. No, when I got MS, uh, I got on a good treatment that I take every month that has kept the relapses in remission. And, um, and then I've also, I switched to a very restrictive autoimmune friendly diet, uh, basically a pescatarian diet. And, um, I do a lot of exercise. I do a lot of supplementation. I do a lot of physical therapy. I do a lot of uh, stress reduction exercises and things like that. Like for example, being involved in uh, libertarian politics and, stress reduction <laughs> exercise. and, um, and so I just, I, I, I decided to be proactive about it because I got diagnosed in my thirties and they were already talking about, you know, how long before I'm in a wheelchair. And I'm like, wow. no, actually I was trying to like live my whole life and live well into my eighties or nineties and maybe, maybe even still be able to walk then. So I really decided to kind of jump in front of it. It was mostly my hypochondria that forced me to be to be really proactive about this thing. Yeah. Um, anybody watching this video will notice that once you started talking about your MS, uh, that's when I started plugging my book in the bottom yes. uh, Chiron. <laughs> Uh, right there. So if anybody, if, if you're not interested in hearing about, you know, Spike's MS bullshit, you could go and check out my book. Available if you were sick order. about this schmuck coming onto my show to talk about how brave he is for being sick and not dying, then uh, my book, that joke isn't funny anymore, is available <laughs> on for pre-order on Amazon. Well, you know, I, I got to say, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that you, you've been in remission uh, for you know, for as long as you have. And, Thank you. you know, the, the idea, uh, there's so many people out there who, uh, they don't, they're not proactive when it comes to their health and no. it's sort of, you know, either they're waiting around kind of like a ticking time bomb and something's going to happen or, or they immediately go to, you know, the, uh, well, what, how much dope can you put in me? Uh, or how many, you know, how many what new drugs can, can you, you give me? Can, yeah. can you yeah. give me as opposed as opposed to you know changing your diet, exercising, and yeah. um, and, and all that? Uh, you know, with um, uh, with COVID and and uh, uh, over the I mean over the past two years, did that impact you at all as far as you know how you were living your life? Because I guess technically you'd be like immunocompromised. Is that what? So technically, I'm considered immunocompromised in that I take an immunomodulator, which is a form of immunosuppressant for my MS. The thing I get every every month uh, that that keeps my MS in remission. Basically, it's like your, what it's it does, your period. It's like your period. Yeah, it's like my period, except yeah. I don't like bleed uh, in theory anyway. And, um, and so, uh, what it does it, it without going into much detail, it strengthens one part of my immune system to keep me from getting more sick. Uh, and it weakens the part of my immune system that's most likely to do the autoimmunity stuff, you know, attacking my brain. And so, uh, I'm not really at more at risk of getting sick 
it's more so that if I do get sick, uh, that I'm more likely to be have a more severe inf- or if I get infected, if I get a you know infection or I get sick or whatever, I'm more likely to have a, a more severe uh, uh, case of that because my immune system sees stuff happening and goes, not my problem. And that's kind of been trained to not do stuff like that, um, which is good most of the time, unless uh, so last. So I already had it's it's funny. A lot of people, when they see how fastidious, fastidious I am about washing my hands, sanitizing my hands, I don't really get in people's faces a lot. I, I'll, you know, hug or shake hands or whatever, but I'm not like in people's faces and stuff. And I don't eat or drink after strangers. I uh, or, or I shouldn't say strange. I don't eat or drink after anyone but my wife. Um, I, you know, just little things like that. And people thought I was doing that because of COVID. And it's like, no, ever since I got MS and ever since I started taking this, Mm -hmm. I've been like, I've been fastidious for several years now. It just so happened it worked out well for COVID. Now I did end up getting COVID, uh, last month back in January, actually right on January 2nd, I I, I said 2022 is going to be the year of spike. And then I, I got COVID and I, I had a pretty severe case of it. I got the pneumonia. I still have a lingering cough that's been getting better slowly over time, but it hit me pretty hard. And that's precisely because, um, or likely because I took this, um, I take this thing that kind of keeps my immune system from getting too uppity. And that's, you want your immune system to get at least a little uppity when you get COVID. Um, but on the other hand, because I lost close to hundred pounds when I started doing my diet and exercise stuff, because otherwise I'm about as healthy as a 39 year old Jew can be, uh, I am <laughs> otherwise pretty healthy. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I was able to do better than a lot of other people my age who are obese or who do smoke or who do, you know, have other issues, health issues where they haven't, didn't recover from COVID as well as I did. Wow. A hundred pounds. You lost a hundred pounds. Yeah. I gained 25 back, but I, I, I initially lost a hundred. Mm-hmm. I like saying the lost a hundred pounds part, but then I, I, I did gain some back. Uh, but honestly I needed to, I was, I got, I went from about 250 pounds to about 150 pounds. And I was, I was like, this is, I'm way too, I looked skinny. I did, I did. I actually needed to gain some weight back. So, um, so the net I guess is 75 pounds, but yeah, no, I was a fat guy. And, um, mm. and my, my, this would have been my early thirties, but before I got diagnosed, before I first started uh, having symptoms of MS in 2014. And, um, uh, I, you know, I was, my cholesterol was always way too high. My, uh, uh blood pressure was hypertension. You know, they kept telling me, you're getting away with this now because you're in your early 30s. But if you don't change things, we're going to have to start giving you medication. You're going to have to start making lifestyle changes. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm okay right now, though, is what I'm hearing is that I'm okay right now. And um, and then my body was like, no, actually, we're going to start attacking your brain if you don't start acting right. And so if, if nothing else, the silver lining uh, to my struggle as an MS warrior uh, is that I, I had to kind of take my health more seriously. And right. as a result, I'm actually more healthy now than I was when my brain didn't have a bunch of little lesions all over. Yeah. I just went to, uh, just went to the doctor and, um, I, I, got, I have to work on my, my cholesterol. It's, I, yeah. I was at 132. Um, and, okay. uh, and, uh, so I got, I have to work on that. Um, but what really pissed, what pissed me off was, um, it was my first time going to this, uh, to this practice, you know, so they, they take, take your weight, they take your height. And, uh, uh, the, the, the nurse uh, asked me, Oh, how tall are you? And I told her five ten. I've been five ten my whole life. And I'm yeah. like five ten and a quarter uh, at 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 my peak. 
I'm not the kind of guy who would lie on his, you know, dating profile. Right. And then, and then she goes and she <laughs> measures me and she's like, Oh, you're five, nine. I'm like, what the, f- what? Five, nine. What the, and then they hit me with a, with a, the cholesterol. And I'm like, I got to change for one. How do I get that extra inch back? <laughs> and, and how do I lower my cholesterol? Is it, is it the pescatarian thing I got to do? Yeah, I got it. You got to do that. Well, it's a couple. It's a combination of lengthening exercises and uh-huh. uh, and and pescatarianism. No, I um. Uh, it's funny. So when uh, a lot of times, because I'm I'm like five nine, like legit five nine, um, and I'm the same thing. I if you're not like I could see lying about my height if I was like a shade under six foot. I'm like five eleven. If I wear the right shoes, I could fool anyone into thinking I'm six foot and I go, I'm six feet tall because it sounds so much taller. Right. And because there is like all these women that won't date you unless you're six feet tall or whatever. I get it. I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm totally six feet tall. And it turns out I'm actually like five, 10 and four fifths or something. I'm five, nine. I'm not going to like, what's the point? No, I'm yeah. five, 10. What, what does that matter? Like that means that means nothing. Right. And so, so I'm legit five, nine. And I will meet people and I'll say, yeah, I'm five, nine. And they're like, um, you look a lot taller than I would have expected for someone that's five, nine. I'm like, yeah, that's because most people that say they're five, nine are five, seven. And mm-hmm. they're that like, they're not, they won't just like, I don't, I'm not going to pretend maybe if I was shorter, I'd, I'd pretend I was tall, but you're not fooling anyone. Like you're still shorter. I don't. In, in high like, school, no I, used to, I, I used to fuck with my, my one friend who had like a height complex and you oh, know okay. the issue of height would come around, and I, and I was you know at least you know two inches taller than he was, and right. people would, people would ask, oh how t- Lou how tall are you? I'm like, oh I'm five eight, and he's like, fuck you, you're not five eight. He's like, I'm five eight, <laughs> fucking asshole. If you're five eight, I'm five foot five. What the fuck? Yeah, you must be five five then. Yeah, no, that's yeah. I mean my thing is like I gave up on trying to impress people a long time ago, especially when it, physically. I try to impress him now with being an MS warrior, and that seems to work a lot better. But like my height, you know, my height. I'm not like, you know, I'm not Barry Bonds or, or like some, I'm not a, a Michael Jordan or whatever. Like I'm not, I'm not going to impress anyone with my physicality. So why am I trying? Like, it's not like anyone's going to meet me. Yeah. I want to be in good shape. I want to be healthy. I want to be able to be here and, and have a good quality of life whenever I'd like to be stronger and everything like that. But uh, no one's going to come up to me and be like, oh my gosh, you look like you're an Olympiad. Are you an Olympiad? Like, I mean, no one's, uh, although now with Matt Hamilton, I, I guess I could look like an Olympiad with the, the curling. I could look like a, I could look like an Olympic curler, but other than that, I'm not, no one's going to think like, oh Spike, yeah, you Spike must be. knows their names. You know, you know, their names. The Specifically curlers. Matt Hamilton. Is he the, is he the mustache guy? Is it, He's the mustache guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's that, the one that, that looks like a trucker. And, um, and so, you know, I guess, I guess I got that going for me. And I think technically like some of them are my age too. So maybe I'm, I may just start doing that. Actually, that's way less stressful than libertarianism. But um, no, I, I, I've, I long since gave up on trying to impress people physically. And me saying, yeah, I'm 5'11", and then I meet them and they're like, well, he looks like he's shorter, but he said he's five. This guy must be way taller than it appears. Like, it's a lie. Well, well I got better things to lie about. Well, I got to say, you know, um, I've been following you f- uh, probably for the past two years. And I think, I think uh, you and... Uh, we might have a mutual friend in, in Larry Sharp. Yes, I, I, th- yes. I think you guys. Uh, I think you guys have done such a wonderful job promoting liberty and the Libertarian Party, uh, because uh, I think you guys are. I don't want to call it messaging. You're able to communicate. I think better than 
forget about you know most libertarians. I think most people, and you're able to tell, uh, tell you know authentic. I'm, I'm sound like a fucking PR guy. I don't mean to do it, but. <laughs> You're you're so authentic, Spike. Have you thought about Spike. leaning into it? Like leaning Spike into Cohen your... is yeah. an authentic messaging libertarian, uh, bringing uh, uh, common sense libertarian ideals to everyday households in a way that connects with them. Yes. And now you can own the Spike Cohen apparatus that will follow you around and do yes. your talking for you. The yeah. Spike Cohen bobblehead. Yeah. With matching uh, AI machine learning technology, we'll be able to say things in the way that you never could, you loser. My book, <laughs> That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, anymore. is available for pre-order on Amazon. None of the money will be going to MS Research. I can assure Nothing. you about that. Zero percent of the money from my book will be going to helping those sons of bitches with multiple sclerosis. <laughs> Seems to me, if you ask me, sounds like maybe you shouldn't have gotten Epstein-Barr virus when you were a child. Maybe you oh. should try not doing that. Is that what it's called? What? Yeah. So it's it, 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 so the, the, see how we the, just slip that in there. And I was giving that, him a comp. I was trying to give him a compliment. This fucking guy can't take a compliment. He had to go no, on. The, he had to go on a really of, good ramp. Uh, part ramp, of being so. an MS warrior is everyone is against you. It's pure adversarialism at all times. Very similar to being a libertarian. And uh, it's constantly everyone else is wrong. But me, that's why I'm an MS warrior. No, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I and I and I feel the same way about about Larry as well. When what he is doing uh, on there, I mean, right now with his run for governor, the people he's reaching are are people that are not going to hear our ideas in our circles. They're going to hear them by you going into normie circles and and sharing these types of ideas. Um, and I'm sure uh, this book that uh, isn't even available for order. I've read all of it and I love it. And it's it is this is in humor the equivalent of libertarian messaging grassroots libertarian messaging that is larry uh larry sharp's campaign for governor for that this uh, if you think i'm not gonna blurb you you are you are so wrong spike <laughs> that's like the worst you're gonna put that on the back of the cover this yeah. book is the comedy book equivalent of larry of La sharp's, La sharp's run, run for <laughs> governor of, New York. Campaign of 2022 not the 2018 <laughs> one no, specifically no, no, no. the 2022 one no. yes um <laughs> man uh oh, oh i want to talk to you about uh you brought up sure. you were homeschooled and uh yes. i you know uh, i i wasn't homeschooled i went to public school then for high school i went to went to private school and okay. growing up all you hear about is oh homeschool kids are weirdos every homeschooled kid i've met or per or adult yeah normal people like yes you know, well, as normal as you can get. Well, I do have multiple sclerosis, so I mean, there's. Yeah, that that's the one downside of homeschooling. Weird. The kid's gonna your get immune MS. system attacks your brain. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, and but uh, yeah, like what uh, you know, what was that like? That was it from the start. You were homeschooled, or did did you go to public school and then you know back? No, it, it. I actually went back and forth between public school and homeschool multiple times. So, uh, long story short, uh, I went to Hebrew school where I insisted that I be called Spike instead of my Hebrew name. And uh, they were determined to call make me go by Yisrael. And I just kept on, my name is Spike. I don't know what your problem is. And uh, eventually they were like, all right, fine. We're calling this kid Spike. This is a phase. I'm now 39, so that's not ending anytime soon. Uh, I'm about to turn 40. And um, and then uh, was home, was uh, public schooled all the way through to uh, second, through second grade. Uh, and, and actually through third grade. 
Um, and I just became more and more of a behavioral problem. Mm. And it wasn't, I didn't like hurt people. I didn't fight people. I didn't threaten people. I didn't steal or anything like that. I just refused to listen to my teachers because they were morons and they didn't, I knew better than them on many things. And it was frightening. And some of them couldn't spell. And again, this is South Carolina. And so I just, I, I didn't, and it was, it was a problem. And my parents, uh, because I'm, you know, my Jewish parents, they're like, well, what did you do to make him upset? And then they're like, okay, well, then you all have to leave. And so I was homeschooled third, fourth, and fifth grade. Um, and that was amazing. I learned so much. Uh, uh, my dad is a, a he, he's a, a retired rabbi and he was, he was disabled. So we were able to really spend a lot of time together. He was able to teach me so many things when we didn't know this was pre-internet. So if we didn't know something off to the library to find a book about it, off to, uh, you know, find some articles from newspapers about it, off to see if there was any kind of, uh, laser discs this is how old i am uh that there were to watch about that subject or whatever and uh, and i just learned so much and i loved learning uh and then my parents um uh because of a divorce and and, and situations they had i had to go back to public school for a few years and it was like i was way ahead of all the classes there um in terms of what they knew i was retrenching the stuff that i had already learned like two years prior uh i the 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 school culture there of kids, kids in school are so much crueler than mm. they are outside of school. And it's for the same reason that people, uh, adults are are uh, crueler in prison than they are outside of prison. Like it's, it's just, that's the environment they're in. You're all forced to be there. There's this weird institutionalization that happens and it, it sort of trickles down into how they treat others. That's my theory anyway. And so, and between that and just being bored with everything, I, I got into drugs uh, uh, starting in like around eighth grade. And then uh, I ended up having, I ended up being even more of a disciplinary problem, uh, which I won't discuss uh, because South Carolina has no statute of limitations on, on any crime. Um, and so what I, what, what I will instead say is that uh, I had a rough go of it in high school. And, uh, and so I ended up having to be homeschooled 10th, 11th, and 12th grade, right back to learning all sorts of stuff. I was even high and I was learning all hmm. sorts of stuff, got to learn all sorts of things and, and was grateful for it. So in my, what six years of being homeschooled, everything that I recall and retain now that I learned during my, you know, uh, childhood and, and teenage years was all in homeschooling. Every, everything that I learned is like a weird coping mechanism was probably in public school, but you know, but that's that in terms of like actually learning homeschool is a thousand times better. Yeah. I, uh, when I hear people talk about, um, you know, oh, we got to bring back bullying, you know, it makes people tougher and all that, or, or you know, ex making excuses for that. Yeah. I always want to talk. I always want to uh, say to those people, because most of the time they're adults. It's like, okay, I want you to imagine every single day you come into work and a guy beats the shit out of you yeah. and takes your money, right? Yeah. Or, you know, spits on you or calls you, you know, just obscene names and all that. Uh, you know, you're going to handle that. You're going to call the police. You're going to call the, you're going to call the police to come and arrest this person. But yeah. instead, when it comes to kids, it's, you know, put them back, uh, you know, put them back in the same room uh, with each other. And, you know, I, I have, uh, I have two, two sons. They're not, you know, of school age yet. Uh, yeah. But my wife and I have talked about, you know, at least uh, in the early years, you know, possibly doing, you know, some kind of, some kind of homeschooling. Um, yeah. And, you know, just looking at, uh, fortunately, we live in a, in a, you know, nice neighborhood and, uh, and all that, but 
yeah, just imagining the, you know, the, the cruelty that, that, that is inflicted upon so many children. It's, it's not uh, talked a lot about. Yeah. 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 It's a, it, or, or the, you know, people pass it off as like, Oh, well that's just growing up, you know? And, and it's, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not, I, I, I used to do the, we did these like homeschooling. Uh, now they have like homeschooling co-ops and stuff like that. Right. But we had like these homeschooling get together groups. I, I'm sure they had a better name than what I just said, but you know, it was basically kids that were homeschooled so that they were socialized and had access, you know, had, you know, the ability to hang out with other kids. And there were no extracurricular activities that were open for homeschooled kids back then. So it was pretty much what we came up with together. And I would meet those kids. And yeah, some of them were a little socially different than, you know, what then, you know, I might have been or whatever, because I had been in public school, but maybe I'm the weirdo who knows, but they were kinder. And there was no bullying and everyone was happy to see each other. And if you didn't like a particular kid, you didn't really have to hang out with that kid. You could decide who you liked and who you didn't like. And then I'd go to public school and kids who ostensibly are the same as those kids were. I remember being mean to some kids because it was like, okay, well, they're on this strata yeah. And this is what kids at my my level would say. That, and, and and then realizing like how wrong that was and not doing it anymore because I'm like, but that's how people treat me. Why would I? And, and, and realizing this is the hierarchy that's built into institutionalization. And then seeing the, the close parallels with prison and how adults, you know, at least with the kids, you get to go home. But imagine if you were locked in there, how much right. worse it would be and how much more. Uh, uh, and if you couldn't have exposure and, 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 and tell people outside on the outside, what's happening in there as, as easily as you could, if you're in school, it, yeah, no, it's a, it's a terrible environment. And I'm not going to pretend that every public school is bad or mm -hmm. that every homeschool environment is good or every public private school is good. Um, but I will say that I, it was not, I did not like it. I, I did not enjoy it. It was not, I did not learn from it. Um, I did not feel like I was being educated. I felt like I was being corralled and institutionalized and forced into something. And I was with a bunch of kids who felt the same way. And, yeah. um, and that, that wasn't good. I, I, that, whatever that model is, that sucks. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, looking at, you know, public schools or, or, you know, government, uh, government schools as, government uh, schools, yeah. as, as our people will call it. Yes. Um, I, when we look around, there's so much ingrained, I guess, in uh, these institutions. Like you say, it's been institutionalized where uh, when weirdos like us try to talk about alternatives, it's it's almost like, you know, snapping somebody out of uh, the norm or, or snapping somebody out of it, saying like it's it almost saying like, yeah, there's an alternative to public schooling. It's like yeah. saying, well, there, there's an alternative to gravity. You know, yeah. there's an alternative to to the way that trees grow and all mm -hmm. that. I think so many people, it, it uh, they're so in it that they can't see out, you know, outside of that, and um, and and that's why I think uh, you being a hell of a messenger, authentic, <laughs> are able to break through and come yeah, away. The, the one thing we haven't had in this interview yet is you haven't asked me where I get my ideas from. That that's cool. the one. That's so a great callback. Call callback to Norm. We gotta get, get yeah. Where do you get your ideas from? No, I. Uh, <laughs> um, well, thank you. I as you know, one thing I've learned in my in my 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 fight against uh, MS uh, is that it is important to be a good messenger. 
No, I, I think that uh, I, I, I that there's something inherent in statism and the conditioning that's that's built within it that conditions people to believe that that's the only way. Like you said, it's like saying, well, we don't need gravity. Well, what are you going to replace gravity with? Nothing. And and, and uh, so, for example, when the Soviet Union ended, there was some very serious fear among the, the people. Where are we going to get our food from? If we don't have bread lines anymore, if we don't have potato lines anymore, where do we get our food? Like that's mm. our food comes from the government. And if you tried to explain to them, oh, well, no, you can have a market and you have your own money and you go to the store and it's actually pretty good. You know, the systems that have it, uh, they certainly don't have problems with starvation. I mean, uh, in, in the countries that have, you know, basically uh, fully market der uh, derived or, or, or at least a largely market derived uh, provision of food uh, that that you know uh, the, among their poor obesity is a problem. They, they certainly don't have starvation as a as a prevailing issue. They look at you like you're insane. What are you talking about? Without having someone in charge who's making sure each one of us are fed. Oh, it's the market's going to do this. That sounds insane. And that's the argument we have with people all day long about healthcare, public safety, education. We can even show them real world examples of how the market does a better job at these things than the state does, despite the fact that the state has the ability to print out unlimited reams of cash to hand off to whoever they want to, and they can mandatorily force you into this. They still can't manage to perform as well as voluntary market actors uh, in, in most or all cases. And they'll still look at you like you're insane. And that's just, it's conditioning. And that's why it takes really good messengers like me and Larry Sharp to message to them out of their conditioning. It's why you need to go and buy Lou's book, my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, which is available for pre-order on Amazon.com. Lou? Spike, that's all I wanted from you, man. Thank you for giving, <laughs> thank you for giving it and giving it uh, and giving more than I than I needed. Um, that was like dude, four plugs in yeah, an that hour. That was a lot. Yeah. That was that was yeah. a lot. I, I might have to cut like three of them out because you No, no, please, yeah. please cut them all out. Um Thank you so much, man. And wh where can uh, where can people find your stuff and and uh, you know and 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 all that stuff? Yes, uh, I will be uh, on the back excerpt uh, section of the book. That joke isn't funny anymore. Uh, at least three times. Uh, no, uh, my website is spikecohen.com, and uh, my social media is uh, Facebook. I own that. Um, no, I have. I, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on YouTube. I'm on TikTok for the kids. And, uh, and I'm on, uh, on all the social media platforms. Uh, my website is spikecohen.com that, that keeps up to, that has a, a schedule of my upcoming events that you can come out to. If you are so inclined to meet people in person, um, I'd be happy to meet you and talk with you and answer any questions you have. And, uh, you certainly follow me on social media. I have two podcasts that I do on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, at 8 PM Eastern live, uh, on muddied waters media that's available on all podcasting platforms all social media platforms, uh, Muddy Waters Media. And uh, yeah, my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, is available uh, uh, for pre-order um, on Amazon.com. It's my book now. <laughs> After five plugs, it's now my book. It's, That's it's homesteading. True. I homesteaded it. <laughs> Spike, thank you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end thank the you. broadcast and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. And again, please order my book, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore, on the death and rebirth of comedy. Just follow the link in the description or head over to Amazon and search for Lou Perez, That Joke Isn't Funny Anymore.
And please subscribe to my podcast. Leave a five-star review. Why not? Sign up for my newsletter at thelouperez.com. And if you want other ways to support my work, you can join thelouperez.locals.com. And of course, be sure to support my sponsors, palomaverdecbd.com. Use promo code LOU for 25% off purchases over $75 and Black Organic Cold Brew, B-L-V-C-K-B-R-E-W.com. Use promo code LOU for free shipping. Thank you.